I couldn't get into it. No, I hope you couldn't get into it. It's fucking a chicken. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris, I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week I'm joined by the superfly space guy, Mac. It smells like rabbit. The classic horror connoisseur, Sean. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. And the paranormal paramour, Vinx. Don't you never turn your back on a fucking clown when he's talking to you. This week we're reuniting with an unconventional family we last saw back in episode 136. A family known for harboring an insatiable hunger for mayhem. Before we hit the road, though, we have some follow-up. Let's follow up on a movie. So we watched The Amityville Horror 2, The Possession, and we had our, the- you know, our, our feelings, our thoughts. Honestly, though, speaking of fucked up families. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're on a theme here. We're on a roll. So we, we, we had our thoughts, you know, listen, find out. But we asked you what you thought, and 44% of you hacked it and 56% slashed it. I mean, that seems... About right. I mean, it's it's definitely one you can go either way on. Well, we all know that I I disagree, but listen to find out why. So we have some comments from our listeners. Guy Tammy Sawyer says it's just a good turn your brain off classic. You know? Yeah. See, I like that. I like that. Okay. So it's not that I don't like that, but also I don't know that I agree with it. I don't feel like this movie is very turn your brain off. Winnie the Pooh is turn your brain off. I don't know. I don't know that this is. Hey, we all have our thing. Okay. Now, Duda Joseph says, just a good entertaining movie all around. What's not to like? I think a lot of people would say, it's a lot not to like, Joe. But you know what? That's why I love you. Strong in your convictions. And that's our follow-up. Well, we're continuing the familial theme this week as we dive back into a macabre world conjured by one Rob Zombie himself. When last we visited this franchise, we were dropped into the bizarre homestead of the Firefly family. This time, though, their rural home sanctuary is disrupted and they're forced to flee onto the open road. While they work to satiate their thirst for anarchy, they are relentlessly pursued by a sheriff who's out for vengeance. And he doesn't fear diving into the same darkness he's pursuing. Now, as the chase intensifies, the line separating law from lawless starts to blur. Zombie's uncompromising vision was produced on a budget of $7 million before grossing more than $20 million globally, carving its reputation as Fangoria's scariest film in 2006 and cementing its cult classic status. Now, will it be a hit with us, though? Well, it's time to find out. Buckle up, folks, because this week we're talking about The Devil's Rejects. Who's seen this one before? Well, as many of you know by now, I am a huge Rob Zombie fan. Both his music, his films. I was there opening night for both House of a Thousand Corpses as well as The Devil's Rejects. I couldn't wait for this one to come out. I have probably watched this one a good dozen times at least. I pretty much own Zombie's entire collection of films. We couldn't have a more polarized kind of you know experience here because after watching House of a Thousand Corpses... I had no interest in watching this when I saw that it was coming out, and thus I never did until now. I haven't seen this movie before, much like Mac. I don't know that it's something that I had an interest in seeing. Now, with House of a Thousand Corpses, Rob Zombie had me in the first half, I ain't gonna lie. 
I really liked that movie for quite a while, and then I really didn't. It was a moment of not liking the absurd lengths it went to, and then things got really gross, not even from like a gore perspective, but from a, okay, and this is a dumb, that this is the thing that stands out to me, someone eating disgusting looking muck and filth from a dog bowl. For some reason, that is something that makes my, my gag reflex trigger every time I think about it. So I had no interest in watching this one, but alas, here we are. This proves that I'm not building the content calendar with any bias because somehow we have fucking arrived at this film. What I will say is that I was happily delighted to have watched this for the very first time with the Hacker Slash community in our Discord server watch party. Sean, you were there. Oh, what a time. What a time. It was fun. I heard it was passionate. It was very passionate. There was a lot of passionate feelings about the film. One way or another. Uh, some people snuck in right at the end to share their passion. <laughs> this is true. So it's definitely been a lot of years since I've seen this movie. But I I faintly remember it walked, like definitely was 13 years old or something like that. I was, I mean, pretty young. Shouldn't have probably seen this movie for sure. Can't remember if it was with my brother or with my little cousin as far as like first watch, but it fits the vibe because my brother definitely liked Rom Zombie for sure. And my little cousin and I were notorious for watching things we probably shouldn't have watched at a young age. That's for sure. Here I am feeling guilty about watching the Amityville Horror, Children of the Corn, etc., <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera, and you're out here watching this fucking movie, bro? Yeah. Hey. Yep. Okay. Happens. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you had this great family bonding experience. So let me tell you, that couldn't be any further from my fucking expectations. Going into this one, I expected filth, gore, excess Rob zombiness. And the only encouraging note I had going into this was the fact that it's also a Western. While I'm not crazy about them generally, they do remind me of my grandfather. And I used to love watching like Zorro. I know that's not exactly Western, but hear me out. Uh, and then a bunch of other like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I used to watch things like that with him when I was younger. And so they have a soft spot in my heart. I'll tell you this also, as I queued up the watch party for this, I started playing the soundtrack as a lobby music while folks filed in. And I was surprised that I enjoyed the first song on the soundtrack. And it actually set me up with a slightly positive outlook on this movie's potential. Well, all I had to go on was House of a Thousand Corpses. So I expected just a glorification of some garbage characters a pointless story, and endless killing. Garbage characters. Oh, my goodness. Listen, listen. This ain't for the faint-hearted, right? This this movie, I would expect this one to be raunchy, gritty, dirty, brutal, gory, intense, vulgar, violent, all of these things. Some of these scenes, I would expect, are going to be hard to watch for some people. But that being said, I think... You know, it's hard to, it's hard to say what to expect. You know, if you watch House of a Thousand Corpses and then you go into this one, it's hard to know what to expect going into this one, to be honest with you. You can read the synopsis, you can watch the trailer and you can get a kind of an idea, but really coming out of the end of that movie, going into this one, you have no idea where that's going. Yeah. Which I think for me, this is kind of like a fresh rewatch in a way because it has been at least well over a decade since I've last seen it. But I distinctly remember some of these characters, most of these characters, honestly, and particular scenes. And that's for a reason. So I think I was expecting this rewatch to surprise me in some ways and maybe find a couple other things, right, that I hadn't necessarily noticed, but others that would just land about the same because it's Rob Zombie and his reputation supersedes him. Obvious. 
forever and ever with that grit and gore. Come on. Hey, I'll say though while watching this that I realized in this film, Zombie actually cared about having a plot. Isn't that fucking wild, bro? It was a to me that was a major change and got you know come somewhat of a surprise. But you know that's a, all the other feelings I felt. Let's not talk about those yet because it's going to spoil some stuff. But this is the one that I'll that I'll admit to. Okay, so going into this, Sean was really hoping that this would be a Rob Zombie movie that I liked because he was specifically dissecting. Okay, what did you not like about House of a Thousand Corpses? And Granted, this movie is not the end of House of a Thousand Corpses. Like, I think a lot of the things that I disliked in that movie are certainly not present here. Right. And I was really, really skeptical about Sean's take on that, right? Like, how could I really like this? Like, there's been one Rob Zombie movie I liked, and that's The Monsters. However, when this movie started, and we, A, hear the music, B, see the opening credits, B, see the transition from the opening credit graphics into the first scene, I was like, holy shit, wow, okay, Rob Zombie just really just leveled up from his first movie. And I was feeling this, like, I wouldn't say, like, false sense of security, but I was feeling like I could see the potential, right? And there goes Chris Rojas falling in love with potential again. There was some shit in this movie that I was really really liking yeah i think this film really feels like a completely different film than its predecessor 100 percent. but the first thing is the soundtrack which you were talking about earlier to this film is fucking legendary you've got the allman brothers terry reed elvin fucking bishop otis rush the original i can't quit you baby not fucking led zeppelin david essex rock on joe walsh leonard skinner's freebird i mean come on legendary okay but here's the thing though the soundtrack is amazing but let's not give too much credit because it's kind of like rob zombie makes a dope spotify playlist like that's what basically this movie is it just yeah i get i get what you're saying but it just fits so well with the film i think that the way that it played into the scenes and opening to closing like it just felt perfect as a good spotify playlist should sure i was gonna say that means that he's a good spotify playlist curator yeah you know just saying. It works for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that at all. The soundtrack was fucking banging. It really honestly, especially like going into the, one of the, some of the first scenes in the movie, I think a lot of the action that we get and just a lot of the sounds that we get through that, there's a lot of a lot of chaos, but then the actual sound of this music that's playing under, it's like almost like a sweet and savory kind of sensation. And I, I can't explain how it fits so well in my mind, but man, I don't think I've ever appreciated a soundtrack more than I've appreciated it in a movie. Yeah. But this is why I felt like I was watching like the goriest music video ever oh. or like multiple music videos that just so happened to have the same characters in it. Like that's how I was feeling throughout the whole movie, which is a vibe. I love music videos. So that is a vibe. There were some music videos that didn't hit fully, right? That I was a little bored at other parts. I was very entertained. Others that I was like, oh, this is funny. Yeah. Others not so funny. <laughs> but kind of gritty and I can dig it, you know, but it's Rob Zombie. Also, if the music was going to be good, that, what a joke. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. But you know, the soundtrack aside, I really felt like this one takes you out of the realm of supernatural horror to a very real kind of horror. They really almost, it felt like humanize these characters in this one. It, it almost flips it in a way and makes you find yourself almost rooting for the bad guys in this one. <laughs> I don't know about that. Okay, listen, I hear, and from a certain point of view, the humanization of these characters, and I think what I would offer instead 
is that it's like a grounding of the characters because it almost more so dehumanizes them more than anything. They're like absolutely fucking off the wall, like sociopaths. But I don't think that I ever felt a single moment of rooting for them. Not a single fucking time. We're going to dissect this later, for sure. We are. We're going to dive into it when we can talk more in depth. Oh, absolutely. But I will will continue this conversation. Speaking of talking more later, I was literally shocked. Not just surprised. I was literally shocked when we get to the end. And as the ending scene starts up, and we'll talk more about it in a minute, but that actually surprised me. One, storytelling, like this was very different from the rest of the movie. And of course, what's being shown is about to happen. Yeah, that was like literally made me say, wow, out loud. Okay, so the end, I can see how that would be a surprise. I think it's maybe a surprise that I wasn't crazy about. But let me tell you what I'm mostly disappointed by. And House of a Thousand Corpses I really liked the first half until I suddenly didn't fucking like the movie at all. And in this one, I was really liking things until I suddenly didn't like it at all. And then it kind of like bobbed and weaved its way into having some moments of having things that are objectively good. And then really just going further and further and further and further into this like absolute abyss of things that I couldn't stand. And I, I think really what it comes down to is fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Why did I give this a chance? (laughs) Well, because you had to. I guess. Fool me twice. Can't get fooled again. (laughs) Uh, You say that and then fucking three from hell is right around the corner. Yeah, that's true. It's true. You know, I think what really surprised me the most in this film was really just the direction that the movie went in, especially in in comparison to A House of a Thousand Corpses. It it was an interesting choice to show you a different side or a different tone as it relates to like the antagonist and the protagonist. And I was I was also surprised to see so many characters in this film that have been in other things, right? Some surprise little cameos that was kind of cool and fun for the audience. Not not really surprising, I guess, but also, and it's not really a spoiler to the actual movie and the plot and everything, but Baby is watching a classic horror film in this movie, and it's a deep cut, so not surprising for Rob Zombie, but man, science fiction horror classic Bride of the Monster with Bela Lugosi as the Mad Doctor circa 1955 amazing choice amazing choice there's that classic horror connoisseur we found him (laughs) honestly though that kind of reminds me when i quote an episode title of a star trek uh series so (laughs) yeah exactly you and i have similar feelings just different genres (laughs) absolutely like it's a great fucking wine that you're serving at dinner jesus Hey, I like that. Yeah, it's a good uh, analogy. I wasn't necessarily surprised or disappointed by much in this film because I think it's just the reputation again and like knowing the atmosphere of this movie, having seen it, like the visuals stood out a little bit more than they usually do to me. Like, I, I guess I remembered them a little bit more this time around than I have in the past. It was giving very 2000s. The opening credits, I think, is something that I, I didn't expect I would like as much. Did you guys enjoy it? Or you, Chris, you mentioned that you enjoyed the opening credits a lot. You know, I sure did. And then I I did have one specific thought as we got out of the opening credits. And I'll share that in the spoiler zone just to not tip anything away. But the aesthetic of it, the compilation of it, a rare instance where I like something from the early 2000s. I loved it. I think also because it was just like, I wish this is what we had gotten from a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I want some accountability. I want to see the wake of this, you know what I mean? And we get close to that in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I think this had a really interesting approach. I do want to go back to the visuals thing, though, because while this film 
seems dirty and gross and bloody. I don't understand Fangoria. I don't think this could have been the scariest movie of that year. Maybe that's just me because I'm not scared by stuff uh, in movies, but like I, I didn't get scary. I got just like gory, kind of gnarly, kind of action movie, kind of dark, kind of twisted. I, yeah, I don't know. I think this, I think this also won an award though for best horror movie in 2006 from some film festival. I forget which one. It won some shit. And let me tell you that it's not particularly scary at all. It's more so just disgusting. And I wouldn't even say disgusting in a way that like has some positive levels of shock value. Like, okay, I really admire you for going there. What a visionary. It's just fucking unnecessary. And I don't know that I could be possibly more disappointed with the fact that someone would try to like pass that off as horror. I do. I, I can, I can kind of see where some people come from though, because this is going to gross you out. But, you know, having had a toenail removed or two in my life, <laughs> uh, the doctor who removed one of them was like so happy with his, with his job that he got it done in one piece that he like wanted to show me. He's like, dude, I don't know if you want to see this. Oh my gosh. But he described it as gnarly. And I was like, sure, I don't care. I'm not affected by that. Like, why not? But that's to me, that's why I chose that word because it has that same feeling of, to me, it's not scary. I'll look at it, but it is gnarly. (laughs) But to some people, that whole process is incredibly frightening. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I I think that this one is, is not going to be frightening in the sense of spookiness or jump scares or hauntings or anything like that. Right. Like I do feel as though this one is frightening to think about though. That there could be a fucked up family or group of people out there that are as sadistic, this vicious and violent, because there probably are somewhere. I'm not going to lie. There's some fucked up people out there. And it's fucking possible. Well, we, we know that there, that there are, because there have been in the past. I mean, this right. is obviously like paying major nods to the Manson family here. Oh yeah. Aesthetically and story wise. And so I think like we know that this stuff is, is real. And so yeah, I can kind of see where that, like that link to real life should be a little bit worrisome. That's the frightening part out of this. Like, yes, it's, it's graphic. It's violent. It's dirty and raunchy and all that stuff. But like the frightening part is just the fact of how real this could be for somebody. I see. I think this is where I struggle because yes, we have these homages to real life, right? I mean, Otis does his best Charles Manson here. He really does. But I think where it comes down for me, it just seems like an unnecessary reminder of these things. And the particular levels that this movie goes to, like there is a moment in this movie where I, if we were not hosting a watch party, I would have just shut the fucking thing off and said, cool, maybe this will be the first episode of Hacker Slash I'm not on. Because it just bothered the shit out of me. Like that's really what it was, right? It's just like, how fucking dare you? You know what I mean? And it's 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 almost like a mockery of the seriousness of these things, and I absolutely couldn't stand it. So that's where I I don't find it even like effective in that fright. It just seems more like disrespect. Interesting. I can only assume, and I'd probably be correct what you're referencing, Chris, considering a couple things. But I don't. Ultimately, the thing about this movie is I don't find it scary. It's just gory. And maybe I'm just a little like desensitized to the typical like scenario that this family's about because I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I've seen the things already. Like 
that concept of an unhinged family being in the middle of nowhere and running into them and stuff like, duh, like, of course, it's going to be a little scary. But is the actual movie scary? No, it's just gory and very like, like if it was if if that sound was a (laughs) was a was a level of of fright for us that (laughs) let's put that this movie at that one. You know, I think it's interesting that you reference a couple of the things there, right? Like you mentioned the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We think about that kind of family action. You know, Mac earlier, we we're talking about the Manson family and the homages that it pays. I, there's something else that I was reminded of here. And it's that the beginning of this film reminded me of this documentary on Waco. Like there was that whole energy to the beginning of this movie. And oh, listen, points to Rob Zombie for being unmistakably Rob Zombie. There's something to be said about that. I do think that this movie at least has less of the flagrant We've seen this in horror movies before, kind of action. I wouldn't say it's the freshest thing I've ever seen, but it's very distinctly its own voice. Yeah, I like I like what you said there. I suppose that in essence, we have seen this formula before in some way. But what I think makes it unique, at least to me, is when you pair it with the first film and look at the different sides that you see from film to film, a side you usually don't really get to see. And it, it suddenly feels like not conventional. It, it feels fresh in that way. And I haven't really experienced that in other sequels. So it has to get originality points here. Yeah, I would agree. Because Typically in a sequel, you don't necessarily get to explore more of the antagonists and certainly not in this way. And I would even argue that in usually the first movie, you would kind of get what you might see in the second one. You get to know the antagonists a little bit, but you don't necessarily realize that they are who they are, how like terrible they are until the climax of the movie, right? And that's still the first one. I feel like in this case, we're kind of, we get that opportunity to dig deeper in the second. And I mean, again, Mac brought it up at the very beginning, Rob Zombie has a plot, shocker, original, like, <laughs> you know? And I would almost argue, I don't know if it's like that much plot to begin with, but whatever. It, the point is, <laughs> the point is that we're kind of like digging into some characters here, which I think is a change of pace especially for him as a director. You know, Chris, your comment about Rob Zombie being Rob Zombie just reminds me of that South Park bit where they're making fun of Rob Schneider, you know, playing. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Like, Rob Schneider is a carrot. He's a, he's a um, <laughs> so it just, it just feels like Rob, Rob Zombie here is just based is what I'm hearing. But I, I think this film, while it points to all these other things, like while watching it, all I'm thinking of, okay, so it's obvious that Rob Zombie liked 70s and 80s horror. Yeah. And and that's like that's the feeling I got from it. It's like, he likes those things. And so it wasn't that like he was out of ideas and just wanted to like copy a 70s horror movie. It was like, I like those movies and I want to make a movie like that. And that's what it really felt like to me. Now, in, in some scenes, it was literally, I'm going to copy the aesthetic of that film, or I'm going to copy the literal like action in a scene and make it my own. But it was to me out of, out of fandom. Cause it's, it's pretty, it's pretty clear that it's not a lack of originality that he does these things, but it's a lack of, of love for those things. So, I mean, originality aside though, if we talk about the ending to this film, the ending to this film was fucking beautiful and perfect. I loved it. The entirety of the ending scene, the music, the pairing of the scene to the music was superb. I also really enjoyed the progression of the third act going into the ending because it had you, well, I guess this is a, a hot take, but it had you rooting for the wrong side, the anti-hero. Mm. Ah. Mm. 
Mm-mm. So we, I think we agree but disagree in different ways. Mm. Okay. Because I think I was rooting for a different anti-hero mm-hmm. at the very mm-hmm. end. And then when we get to the, to the final scene here, this, this part literally shocked me because we get to a point where it's clear something is about to go down and something big is about to go down. You're not quite sure yet. It takes a glance to figure out what that is. But what I loved about the, the final scene is that it was a great mirroring of the opening scene. And like you said, a perfect, a perfect soundtrack choice. But there wasn't an, an unfortunate abuse of slow motion. <laughs> uh, but I think story-wise, it's the ending I wanted to happen about 45 minutes earlier. Yeah. So there's a certain level of payoff that this movie wants you to feel. And Sean, I, I don't think we're rooting for the same people at all by any means. Oh, I get that. Not a I single ounce of me was rooting for these fucking people. But I will say that this ending would have been great had I not known there would be another movie after it. Thank you. Well, we didn't at the time. Yeah, you didn't at the time. But here's the thing. It's me watching this for the first time right now. It is what it is. <laughs> it does kind of ruin it. Because, yeah, at that point, you're like, ugh. But let's try our best to forget that part. If we really do our best to forget that part. (laughs) Close your eyes and forget. Close your eyes and just erase it from your mind. I agree with Sean. Great, great ending. Because despite the fact that whoever you're rooting for, I can't wait to dig into that and discover who's who and what's what, you know? Um, It's just not going to end maybe the way that you fully would have hoped, I think. But in a good way, at least in my opinion. And another one, another scene right there that as a child, I was like seared in my brain. Not a child, I'm being dramatic. I was 13. But like, you know, nonetheless, it's like seared in my head. Well, we certainly have mixed feelings so far. So let's see how mixed they get as we get to our ratings before we actually score this movie, though. Sean, how would you describe the gore score? Woo-wee! This is a pretty gory and violent film. You are going to see a lot of brutal and graphic scenes. There is a ton of blood and guts in this one. I think it's definitely up there in terms of gory films. It's still not quite like terrifier level of severe gore, but I think it still lands in severe territory because of how brutal and violent the film is along with the gore of it all. And what about the animal report? You know, we're all safe, but there was some weird commentary on some chickens. So take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) My point exactly. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and get into our ratings then. The Devil's Rejects from 2005. Was it a hack or a slash? You know, I'll go first because, Sean, you brought up earlier Terrifier and and how we just went on this uh, discovery that, yes, I was 13 when I saw this movie. Okay. So this is quite literally my 13 going on 30 story is really what I'm calling this movie. In some capacity, because like, (laughs) I saw it when I was 13. Hear me out, hear me out. I saw it when I was 13, right? But at 13, I thought it was like, my God, so scary and gory and grit and like, this is a horror movie, whatever, you know? And now I'm 30 and I've seen Terrifier 2. And I'm not that impressed, you know, by like the horror of it. I don't think that this is like a work of art per se, like I used to when I was 13. It's lost its shine. But yeah, it's lost its shine for me and it's, but at the same time, it's, it ha- does have some value, though. Like, I like how not likable the family is, and they always have been. And the gore, regardless of it not being extreme, is still pretty shocking, um, for sure. And maybe a little bit more of the gore than I've seen recently, or of the 2000s, obviously. Now, the plot, like I said earlier, I don't think it's phenomenal, but there is one, and that's, that's decent, that's good. And ultimately, look, it's a 2000s through and through. 
And in the 2000s, like I said, I loved music videos and it gave lots of nostalgia. And so for that, I am going to give this one a slash for good old nostalgia's sake. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump in here next so that Sean can maybe redeem things before, you know, we finish <laughs> up. But this movie smells of weak old discarded onions. <laughs> Texas heat-induced body odor, and a rundown roadside gas station toilet bowl after a chili cook-off. <laughs> I truly do not enjoy anything about Rob Zombie's mostly aimless storytelling, edgelord dialogue, poop smear aesthetic, and fully irredeemable dumpster-quality characters. I'll give this credit for having a better story than A Thousand Corpses, but that's like just icing on top of a dung cake. Literally, like all of his movies, This in My Eyes is a hack. Woo, man, gotta follow that one up. Listen... I'm going to bounce right back and say this movie is filled with harrowing scenes of brutal violence. It's a Rob Zombie horror western. This movie has a lot of grit. It's unrelenting and unapologetic. I found myself rooting for the bad guys in this movie. I was invested in the story from start to finish. I honestly believe that this is one of, if not the best film Rob Zombie has ever done. It's right up there with The Lords of Salem. I loved the way the film was intentionally shot to feel very 70s. The music backing this film up, the characters all the way to the very fitting and perfect ending. It's a definite slash. Mm, Wow. So much kindness. So much love. I love that for you. I'm glad that you both have so much love and happiness from this movie, despite how fucked up it is. And I I know you acknowledge this. Listen, if I hadn't seen The Monsters... And mind you, Rob Zombie's catalog for me is now officially Halloween, Halloween 2, House of a Thousand Corpses, The Monsters, and then this. So I haven't seen Lords of Salem. I haven't seen Three from Hell. If I hadn't seen The Monsters yet, this would be Rob Zombie's best film. Objectively speaking, the cinematography is pretty fucking great, honestly. In so many ways, I can see how this is objectively a better movie than House of a Thousand Corpses. I totally get it. There are some moments of actual comedic gold in this movie that I wasn't expecting. Captain Spaulding is, come on, it's fucking Captain Spaulding. He's kind of hilarious. I found myself saying, not the clown sex at one point, and not that not ruining it for me. You know what I mean? Like, it started to wield the same kind of weird fucking charm that Terrifier does. The problem, though, is that just when it got good, it got bad. And it got irredeemably bad. Like, there was a moment where I literally wrote in my notes, this is exhausting and I don't know how the movie's going to redeem itself. And it kind of got close. And then it did something in the end where I was like, well, fuck, here we go. And then it tried to bait me out again. And I'm just not a fan of it. Listen, we had a thought back in the day, this is pre-Binks, pre-Sean, of what it'd be like to do a Western spinoff of Hacker Slash. And we were going to call it Yeehaw or Naw. And this is a nah for me, dog. A hard fucking nah. Absolutely fucking not. I hate it. Just to be clear, nah translates into a hack. And with that, The Devil's Rejects in 2005 is split right down the middle with two hacks and two slashes. Now you can find this movie plenty of fucking places online, so you can check the link in our show notes if you want to watch it yourself before diving in. But after you watch it, join us in the second half so Sean and I can get into these debates together. We'll see you in a bit. Well, 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 look who we got here. Do you scream for ice cream? 
Captain Spaulding here to introduce you to a taste so devilishly delightful, it'll make your head spin faster than a merry-go-round in hell. Welcome to Spaulding's Crematorium, where we serve up ice creams that's so good, it'll make you want to kill for another scoop. That's right, folks. We've got flavors that'll send shivers down your spine and make your taste buds dance like possessed souls. Our secret ingredient? It's milk fresh from our very own local Firefly Ranch. Those cows ain't your average dairy cows, oh no. These cows are 100% grass-fed, grazing on the fields where hundreds of bodies are buried. It's like heaven and hell got mixed up in a blender, and the result is pure creamy bliss and a -a one-of-a-kind taste that'll make you shit your pants in delight. And let me tell you, our most popular flavor will have you howling with delight. It's called Baby's Tootie Fucking Fruity. With every sinful spoonful, you'll experience a burst of fruity goodness that'll make you scream with pleasure. So if you're looking for an ice cream experience that'll leave you begging for mercy, head on down to Spalding's Crematorium where your dairy delights are our most important top secret clown business. We'll satisfy more than your cravings and make your soul scream with pleasure. Use promo code HACKORSCOOP for an extra scoop of your flavor choice and a drizzle of Otis's secret sauce. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for The Devil's Rejects, which has earned two hacks and two slashes. Now, we have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, let's go through the kills. Well, we really have a kill count that we can be proud of in this one. And I'm not going to include any shots of already dead bodies in this count. And we also know that there is another film making this a trilogy, so we won't be including the three from hell either. All of that being said... We have a total of 17 kills in this one. Now, there are some wild fucking kills, some gruesome kills in this one. So what were your favorite kills? Listen, if three from hell wasn't a thing, it'd be when they fucking die at the end, but they're not fucking dead. So I guess I can't do it. I'll go instead with the very unfortunate young woman who had someone else's face bound to her face only to get baby gauged from Pet Cemetery and ran over by a semi in the middle of the road. Can I tell you, this was number one on my list as my Whoa. least favorite kill. Okay. All right. Because of the truck part. Okay. So the whole part where she's like running with the mask, where it's a complete Texas Chainsaw Massacre moment. I was like, that. this is great. I'm actually really in love with this part. And then it was almost to Wes Anderson, the way she was completely in the middle of the frame. We're just waiting for, we're waiting for a truck or a van or something to come by. Like one goes and doesn't hit her. And I'm like, this is, it's almost comedy at this point. And then the truck hits her. And it was just so obvious that I, I couldn't love it anymore. You know what? You brought up Wes Anderson and that makes me think maybe that's why I loved it so much. Cause I'm a Wes Anderson girly. Because I actually have that as my favorite kill too, because it is the Texas chainsaw vibes with wearing the mask. Although like I get the panic, but girl, you should have like taken a beat and taken the mask off and composed yourself a little bit or maybe you wouldn't have gotten squished. That's what but, I'm saying. Like, yeah, she could have gotten it together, I think, or maybe not. I don't know. But the point is, the point is that it's always a fun time when they do the classic bit where you think something's coming and then nothing for just a, for just a moment, like just a breath. And then boom, that's it. Squished like a banana peel. It was great. Terrible. I mean, poor girl, but so great. 
It was pretty gross. For her to end up being the roadkill in this movie was a little fucked up. It was brutal, for sure. Like, it was one of the, one of the most intense scenes, especially the aftershot of, like, the entrails or whatever on the road. Just completely graphic, for sure. But I, I just, I can't get over the hilarity of not taking the fucking mask off and watching where the fuck you're going. I'm sorry. So behind that, which was almost my favorite kill and then quickly became my least favorite kill, my favorite actual kill is when Tiny kills the sheriff. And mm. it's because, like, you knew it was going to happen. It was a Chekhov's gun. But for some reason, even though I was rooting for the sheriff, in that moment, it was satisfying for Tiny to show up. Oh, see, I wanted the sheriff to die from from, from the get-go. Listen, did I want the sheriff to die? Yeah. Did I want all of them to die? Yeah. I would have taken the sheriff living over these motherfuckers living. Absolutely. Jimmy's kill was intense. I know he was shot in the head. It was quick. But the reactions from the others in the room that made this kill, because their reactions were so great, it really made the kill so intense, like so believable. Okay. For me, it was the way that he asked for help in such a monotone fucking way. He was like, oh, no, help. Uh, Like, (laughs) what? No, it was just, I don't know if it was a bit. I don't know if it was just leaning into the poor acting because he was kind of funny. Like his dejected monotone, like I'm not really putting any effort into this was, was kind of funny. And then that little, that little quip right before he gets shot, it was like, yeah. It's, it's lost its charm. But if you're a New Girl fan, it's hard to separate him like in this movie from his New Girl character. And so when he when he gets down in that line where it's just like, help me, Roy, it was it was really funny. It was so good because I completely agree. That's what I was thinking about. I was like, this guy plays the he plays it so well. And I'm almost convinced that's him as a real person. That's just who he is naturally, especially because he's a little bit nasally. You know, he's like, help me, Roy. <laughs> That's his character. It made it so good. It made it so good. But let me ask you, can you guess what my favorite kill was in this film? Is it going to be Mama Firefly? No. It's a good one. Wow. Okay. Well, there it is. It's Roy. Roy's kill oh. was obviously one of the greatest and most brutal of the film. The whole scene where Otis is making him pray and mocking him only to tell him that he's the fucking devil and he's here to do the devil's work and then proceeding to beat his head in with that branch or whatever the hell that was. It was just Otis. I don't know. I want to say like Otis as his best. He's just so psychotic and he plays this role so well that it's just when he he's got the blood splatter on his face. He stands over him. He moves the hair out of his face he's got the crazy like manson eyes like it was intense favorite kill of the movie hands down honestly it's a flash of potential it's what this movie could have been had they reduced 60 percent of everything else otis did you know what that's that's really what it comes down to i think for me because that moment is like one of the most memorable moments that you would get in other movies where there was a serial killer or somebody you know some kind of psycho or something like that right that scene would be that triumphant moment where the serial killer reveals themselves and there would be some kind of crazy track. It's kind of like that moment where we had my obsession playing when we were watching fresh, right. And we're like dancing and we're carving up a human body where it's just like so out there and so crazy. But I think the issue I have is Rob zombie, like that's the 60 mile an hour, but he stays at 60 miles an hour the entire film. And it's just, it it makes it almost that moment feel a little bit less special because there's so much the whole rest of the film. Yeah, I could see it. I could. That's the unrelenting part. It just goes and it doesn't stop. Listen, I like unrelenting in the form of Nandor the Relentless from what we do in the shadows. Rob Zombie can fucking <laughs> relent every once in a while, okay? <laughs> Honestly, if he just learned how to... It, okay, here's what it is. 
it's not even about like the relentlessness of it, right? Because I think to say it's relentless really gives this energy of like persistence and maintaining a, a high level of quality throughout it, right? Or brutality. Instead, what this movie equates to is an essay with no punctuation. It's just one continuous fucking sentence. And every once in a while, you see maybe there's some stuff in there that would be a nice thought. And then it just gets blurred together with all the fucking things that shouldn't be there. I will use this, though, as an excuse to not say that I ha- I don't have like at least, you know, I don't have a favorite visual is where I was coming from here, basically. But I'm going to steal that. OK, that kill, because now that I think more about it, that scene where he's making fun of him. He's mocking him, right? And he's like doing that little shake as if the power of God has like gone into his body. When he brushes his hair back and looks into his face and like he gets real for that moment. He's not being silly. He's not being zany. He's not making a joke. He's just real. I think that shot, you know, that's probably my my favorite visual of this whole movie. Yeah, I'd agree because it's with that line when he's, you mentioned it, Sean, that I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. It's It's an ode to Charles Manson a little bit. Doing that shot like from the bottom, it makes you think like you are literally Roy. Like you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's uh, that fear a little bit, that intensity of, I don't know, this guy, this being, this crazy ass man who believes that he's the devil and he's doing the devil's work. Like, ugh, how haunting. That scene is for sure ingrained in my head. I would say, I know it's cheating, but I would dare say it's probably my favorite scene of the whole movie. But shout out to the costume department. For that scene also, because y'all, Bill mostly had a shaved head and that's a lace front wig. Yeah. And it is sharp as hell. Yeah. I'm just saying, iconic. He shaved his head to get that to fit better. Yeah. No, he he committed fully, which I'm not surprised at all. You know, anything for Rob Zombie who pays his checks. So that's fine. But it's so good. And in general, right? Like the whole movie, costuming, makeup, it's the grittiness that delivers no matter what i want to shout out the same costume wardrobe department maybe a little bit of the props department for the backwoods mandalorians we get this is the way motherfucker because that whole (laughs) opening scene where there's the raid on the house and they're throwing on these iron masks ooh, oh yeah that well that is the moment where i was like Okay, I'm not actually like this movie. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. So the the whole opening for me, the whole opening sequence of all the victims was a a really good visual. It really sets the tone for how deranged and twisted this fire family really is, or this firefly family really is. But I, I love the entire opening, even going into the opening credits and the still shots that were happening. Felt like the perfect moments to introduce everybody, right? Like being backed by Midnight Rider by the Almond Brothers and going into tricking that lady to steal her car and all the way up to the shot of Otis coming up from behind her and stabbing her in the back. That still shot of Otis's face was another great shot. He really has a good psycho face. Man, I I did note how rough it was to see that poor woman, Abby, as her name tag indicated, get murdered on her way to work during the opening credits. Listen, if I die at any point, let it not be on my way to work. I don't want the last thing I'm doing on Earth to be going to work. <laughs> that does suck. At least let it be like while I'm at work, so like, don't let me finish my shift, you know? But like not on my way, not on my way to work. Like, but wh- which is worse, on the way to work or clocking out and going home? Okay, that is some bullshit for sure. Clocking out? Mm-mm, no, it's a waste. Well, yeah, especially if like you just worked a whole grueling day and then you die, like... Damn. Fuck, man. Yeah, no, no thanks. No thanks, bro. Whereas in, in reverse, 
as in reverse, I would have maybe you had a good breakfast, you know, you did your morning routine and it's happening before you go to work. I think I would rather that than like, okay, you know what? This is just going off on a tangent. I'm just saying. Listen, maybe before work, sure, not en route to work. I don't want to die in my work clothes, bro. True. Okay, so let's let's talk about Otis a little bit more here because my favorite scene in the movie could be the whole Freebird ending scene, but that seems too easy. So I want to go a little bit more niche and I want to go to van life and talk about ice cream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because that sequence, of course, like anytime, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm, I hate these characters because you're supposed to hate them. Right. But the, the difference for me is I don't root for them at all ever, but we're in this scene where we're in the van and there's just something so silly and so zany about them in this van together. And then you add ice cream into the mix. Yeah. Like oh, we're talking about ice cream, what we want to get, then no, you're never getting ice cream, whatever. Right. Then we cut to them having ice cream. Tootie fucking fruity. Oh, just perfect. Perfect transition for sure. There is no fucking ice cream in your fucking future. And the the violence with which he said that to the sudden stillness and that next cut, mm, so fucking good. Oh, and then she like gets the ice cream on his nose. I mean, it was such a great moment. This I'm saying like it it uh, you root root for him or not. All right? It still humanizes these characters in a way. Which is why I think some people find themselves rooting for the bad guy in this movie. They also don't make the sheriff a likable fucking character. So the protagonist is not someone that you automatically want to root for. And it ends up being something where you're like, all right, I just want to watch this crazy family do some crazy ass shit. I don't think there's any real protagonist in this whole movie. I think it's just fucking shitty people all around. Yeah. No particular heroes here. It's just the anti-heroes. And I can admire... The Joseph comedy that gives us, I think one of the other scenes and really just a moment I enjoyed was Spalding carjacking that mom and her kid. Mm. And it was just like this clown terror. Like, obviously, he fucks her up, right? Not fun. I presume that she's actually okay. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem like any kind of fatal thing because he said he was going to come back and check. But the way that he terrorizes this kid and we have this whole lesson learned of never turn your back on a fucking clown. I loved the hilarity in that and i think that was one of the few like not lighthearted moments in the movie but his approach the do i stutter that was a moment that i was like okay this is the kind of shit i can get into yeah that poor kid that's such a great line and also when he's like i got clown business it's just it was just great great dialogue really funny in my opinion. On a less fun, lighthearted note, though, I think another great scene was the music escalating when Mama Firefly taunts the sheriff, Wydell, and starts talking about his brother. She says, was he kin to you? And then you have that music like bumping up and bumping up as he's like fucking attacking her. Not the greatest moment, but the level of suspense and just like, what the fuck is going on rising in that moment so good speaking of what the fuck is going on going back to the lightheartedness again i would be amiss if we did not bring up the chicken the chicken scene oh the chicken scene guys i brought it up in my animal report because i absolutely had to quite frankly that was so ridiculous I kind of wanted it to end, but I also was cracking up at some points. But then I was also like, this is the so gross. And then it's like, what is happening? It's just the weirdest humor, but it's fitting for the era in some very fucked up way. Am I wrong? I couldn't get into it. No, I hope you couldn't get into it. It's fucking a chicken, <laughs> you know, but like, <laughs> obviously it was hilarious. It was, it was kind of hilarious. I didn't find it, it funny. Hilarious. Okay. I think reading it is kind of funny. 
like I was looking through quotes from the movie earlier, and I think reading it just feels so absurd that's like, okay, haha. But I think it's because you read it faster than it actually happens in the movie, and it feels so fucking drawn out in the movie. And there's, again, it reminds me of the actual, uh, the asylum, the Smith's Grove Sanitarium asylum guards who are, like, assaulting a woman in that, in in Rob Zombie's Halloween. It reminds me of those fucking guys. And it's just like, all right, do we really got to be sitting here and thinking about, like, the level of detail that's going into this? It's not enough to just talk about the chicken fucking, right? Like, the implications of chicken fucking. But to actually get into the detail of, like, what to cut off and where to put what, do we need that? I don't think so. Uh, you know. Sean, uh, what is this? What is this? Uh, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, listen. It adds to the flavor of this film. You're in, you're in a really interesting part, right, of Texas, right? Some backwoods part. Like, there's some weird people out there. There's, this family is obviously psychotic and satanic. Like, you, you know, you can hate what they do all day long, but that is the point. I agree. I'm sorry, guys, but come on. You're going to tell me that there aren't some, like, weird ass people in the middle of nowhere, Texas. That would hee hee about doing some weird things. Like, yes, come on. I don't know about that. See, okay, here's here's another layer of this, right? First, I don't think I ever met a single person in the middle of nowhere, Texas, when I lived there. Uh, to that, that would that talks about chicken fucking. But side note, I think this is again the line, right? It's not enough to just like make an offhanded joke about the chicken fucking, but then it's almost the same level of of mockery or caricature that we get. When we think about the wrong turn movies and the wrong turns and movies and how they paint the picture of Appalachian families. So it's like, ugh, Rob Zombie, like fucking do whatever it is you're going to do. But the levels and the lengths that you take things to are just fucking unnecessary. See, I think he I think he spoiled a really good joke. And and that's why I was bothered by it, because when he asks them the question and they have that reaction. OK, we're getting to a good joke that in, in, in of its own would have been would have been funny. All he had to do was have him repeat that mentality, right? Repeat, like, just to be clear, you guys aren't going to do this, right? And they would be like, come on, like, you know. So if he would have done that three or five times, it would have been hilarious. But because he led with that, okay, good, and then went into the details, it was no longer a joke anymore. And so it, it, to me, like, that whole scene wasn't comedy anymore because it wasn't, there wasn't a joke at play. It was just, like you said, Chris, it was just grossness. But had he just had him nail it in with a little repetition, I think that character would have been hilarious. I mean, he's already that character. And we see him sitting there on the side of the road with check-ins. We've, he's got his, his big old lip pimple going on already. <laughs> already we've got the setup for a joke. Yep. Now all we need is the punchline. That question could have been the punchline. And I think that that's the trouble is that we just kept going way too long. But that's Rob Zombie for you. Yeah, Always going way too long. But he's got it backwards. You're supposed to take something gross and make that into a joke. And so that's where he started off so well with that question, you know, where he's asking them what they're going to do with the chickens. Mm. Okay, we're getting set up for a really good time. This line is going to land. And then he gets it backwards. So, yeah, I, I think instead of trying to take a joke and make it gross, take something gross and make it a joke. You know, make it make it funny. This whole movie, this whole sequence of movies should have been an aristocrat's joke. I, I honestly think... I mean, there could be some funniness to it and then it gets weird and awkward, but I think, I think it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. I think a lot of this movie is supposed to provoke a feeling of being shocked, 
and or uncomfortable, disgusted, whatever, right? Like, I think that's the point. There's some humor in there sprinkled in, but it, it, here's, here's what it is. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And we're obviously <laughs> split 50-50 on this one. You're so right. So look, you all have talked about some really great scenes. Obviously, one of my favorite scenes I talked about in visuals. So I'm actually going to pick a really small scene right at the beginning of the movie where Tiny is dragging that body of the naked dead girl through the woods in that god-awful sack mask. It was so creepy and such a great little intro to the film. Loved that scene. Absolutely loved it. The first thing I felt in this movie was, fuck, it would be so uncomfortable to be that naked woman dragged across a forest floor during production. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a very memorable start to the movie, that's for sure. I think this is a good point to mention that this movie has a of the year award nomination for me, and it's didn't need to see Nip. Too much boob oh, in this movie. Yeah. Ryan, this is probably the movie that you should have joined us for because you would have had a great boob count. And there it is. All right. I, I got to take this time to ask Sean directly a question because you've mentioned rooting for this family. Yeah. And and whether it's this movie or the one before or even the one that we haven't covered quite yet, I don't understand the the admiration. Not even I don't know if admiration is right, but I don't understand liking them in any way. So I, I don't know if this is like a genre thing for me, but just I see the first movie and I imagine them to be kind of akin to Leatherface. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know anyone that roots for Leatherface. And when we get into this film and they're kind of painted in this light that like we should be rooting for them, it hit me as really strange. Like I don't, where did, where did we, where did I go wrong? Why, why am I not liking them in some way? I gotcha. But here's, here's the thing. Yeah, you're right. You don't root for Leatherface, right? That's not a thing, but it's not that I love these characters as human beings, right? Like if I met this family on the side of a road, I'm not going to be like, hell yeah, brother, let's get together and, you know, knock some cold ones back, you know? Like I'm not going to just be buddy buddy with them in that sense. But what I, what I love is it's the way that it, makes you feel right now it didn't necessarily work for you because you don't like the characters and you just can't find yourself or fathom yourself rooting for this family and it's not that i'm like wanting to initially root for this family it's just the feeling that you get coming out of house of a thousand corpses going into this movie seeing the tide kind of change and flip around on them now you're seeing something that you don't see in a horror movie where the antagonist is now vulnerable where the antagonist is now on the run granted they're doing some fucked up shit and they're killing people but you're seeing them on the run you also have the so-called protagonist that's not really a protagonist that no one likes as a character so it kind of forces you in a way to feel a little bit of empathy for this family even though they're crazy and psychotic and they've done some deranged shit it it almost plays with your mind a little bit. So that's what I say when I'm rooting for the bad guy in this one, it's because I do not like any of the other sides. In essence, let me tell you this. You watch a slasher film, for me, I'm rooting for the bad guy in every single one of those. Like, I want to see all the kills. <laughs> oh. I want to see people die, right? That's why you're watching a slasher. Tell me I'm wrong. You're not in it for the kills? Okay. To be clear... Before you ask that question, I was just about to say, Sean just described Halloween ends. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's interesting. And I'll attach myself to part of it because I, I don't find any, like I said earlier, I don't find any of the characters redeemable in any way. But so something you mentioned was the lack of a protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I think that almost harms the film, right? Because 
if if there had been a protagonist in this movie, someone that you actually gave a crap about, do you think you would have rooted for the family? Maybe not. Probably not. I think it and, would have been different because this one isn't to me isn't isn't really a slasher slasher like in essence, right? It's just a, a really balls to the wall violent film. Like it's just graphic and gory. It's it's intense. So I think if there was a true protagonist, I don't know how they would have made that work. I don't know how that movie would have looked. But I definitely think if there was a true protagonist that was likable, I would have found myself on the other end. It's not that I would have disliked watching this family do what they're doing, but I would have found myself rooting for the other side. And and so the reason, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of stuck to this because Tiny at the very end, it does he go back in the house before it explodes? Yes. Well, it's implied. It's implied, right? So there's something about that moment that for for me read as a little bit of like, regret or or perhaps you know that he felt some guilt or something and i think that's probably completely out of nowhere but if it was out of somewhere if that was played into two ounces more i think then tiny would have been someone i rooted for yeah i like i mean i like tiny man he's a lovable guy exactly a <laughs> lovable guy tiny is the guy who just like didn't give a fuck and unchained that girl while he went back to his dog food bowl in the, in the previous movie mm-hmm. right like whatever i think tiny is the parallel to Leatherface, right? Where it's like, you may do horrific things, but does he have full agency or full control over what he's doing? Whereas everybody else in the family seems to be well aware of what's happening. You know what I mean? It's a little bit much. Fuck that family wholeheartedly (laughs) altogether. I don't give a shit. I don't actually give a shit if the sheriff makes it out in the end, but I can at least align with some bits of he lost his brother. So he has some vengeance to take. Sure. There's that. But there is no ounce of me that wanted anything but pain and suffering for these motherfuckers. And we didn't even get to really enjoy it. And now, like, sure, maybe if the ending was the, you know, like them getting shot up all of Bonnie and Clyde, if that was like the canonical ending for this and they're fucking ghosts in the next movie, sure. But somehow I don't think that's the fucking case. Yeah. So, well, well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I don't think we do. I think we could just know. <laughs> oh, no, I, I think it's coming. I think we'll we'll just have to get in the rotation and suffer through that one together again. You can't, es- you can't escape it, Chris. We'll find a way. I ain't been trying to escape it, to be clear. Uh... Look, I and here's the thing. I also, in it's not that I don't enjoy watching them go through what they go through in this movie. So I'm not saying that I'm like Team Otis and and Captain Spaulding and and any harm to them is bullshit like I want to see them just terrorize everybody. It's not that kind of rooting, but and and because one of the things that I absolutely truly love about this film is getting to see that side of everything being flipped on the antagonist where they're now being hunted, right? They're not the hunters, they're being hunted. They're getting tortured in their own house. It's all come full circle like they're getting they're getting tortured to the victims, getting stapled onto them. Like, I loved all of that. I loved all of that. I think it's just a matter of if you can, if you can, I don't know. There's not a really good wording that I can come up with for this, but like, if you can get past the raunchy dialogue and the rednecky whatever and, and just enjoy it for what it was and the tone that it's setting, then I think you have a good time with this film. I do have a parallel. I think that I can, I can kind of align with you on and that is silence of the lambs. So silence of the lambs, we've got Buffalo bill, right? And we hate 
Buffalo Bill. But we also have Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. But Hannibal Lecter is a charismatic character. And at the very end, Hannibal Lecter is free. And in that moment, I don't care who you are, you're happy that he's free from an entertainment standpoint. And so like, I can kind of get that idea because who knows what can happen now that he is unchained. Right. And you just know the entertainment level is going to be high. So this is, this is the alignment I'm feeling here is kind of like, this is your Hannibal Lecter freed from the prison. Yeah, I like that. I'll take that. We can align there. So- just diving back into this real quick. I think, Sean, one of the things you said was if you can separate yourself from like the raunchy dialogue and stuff like that, you can have a good time with this movie. But I think Rob Zombie needed to separate these characters from quite the lengths that they went to. And I'm talking about specifically the fucking hotel room scene when my girl Terry from Three's Company, who's obviously not Terry in this movie, is violated with a fucking gun. Yeah. Disgusting and unnecessary. See, that that's, that's the thing, right? Like, you can only ask me to go so far yeah. to have a good time with this movie. You know what I mean? Because that moment is not have a good time with this movie. And to anyone who thinks it's have a good time with this movie, Rob Zombie, what the fuck are you doing? I question whether or not you understand what a good time really is. And that's asking a fucking lot. Like, that was the moment where I was like, I can't imagine, like, I'm open to it, but I can't imagine what this movie could do to redeem itself from how fucking low it just went. Because that's the thing, right? Like, it's 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 one thing to come up with this fictional bullshit that's, like, so campy and so out there uh, to, to really go to the extreme edges of, like, what are some fucked up ways to kill somebody in a movie? There, there's all those, right? Like you can, you can do that. Like this girl getting her, someone wearing someone else's face, wandering into the road, getting hit by a semi. That's kind of in a really macabre way, a little bit funny, but being assaulted in a hotel room is not funny. It, it just is not. And granted, obviously the, the moment and the tone of that scene doesn't try to make it funny, but it also does no. not belong. And so that's where I think I struggle with a lot of these characters, right? Otis, I didn't fucking care for Otis in the previous film, but the performance we get from Otis, like Bill Mosley by far and away had the best performance of the whole movie. Right. I just hated so much of what he fucking did. And it, it's like, it's, as soon as I started to forget about it, just slightly, we get his comments about how his gun smells. I'm like... Fuck you, man. Yeah. I just, we don't need to be reminded of these, this fucking brand of actual real life horrors that people go through in this fucking movie. Just don't need it. Hey, listen, I, I get it 100%. That, that scene in the motel room is a tough watch. Like, it, 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 if you find yourself laughing at that scene or loving that scene, there, there is something strange there for sure. I get it. They could have even cut that specific part out and it still would have been a good movie for me. Like, it didn't need to be there by any means. I will also say Bill Mosley hated that scene. I read years ago that he even did that scene and had to walk off the set after doing that scene and physically confronted Rob Zombie about it and said, I, I like that scene is like whatever he said, I don't know, but he expressed his extreme dislike and discomfort for that scene. And, you know, it is what it is. So at least, at least Bill, at least Bill can at least be redeemed a little bit because he has to do his job here, but he did not like doing that scene. I agree. It didn't have to be there. The rest of the motel scene, you know, whatever could have been there, but that was a little bit too far. But you're also looking at the same time, I'll defend it a little bit, just not that scene, but the character of, of Otis, right? This is a guy that sleeps and has sex with dead bodies. Correct. These, this family is, is crazy. Right. 
which is like it's said enough. You know what I mean? Like we already have that, so why do we need to take it further? I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I I I, I agree. Like absolutely. But just to be clear, it should be to the shock of no one that Otis would do something like this because he sleeps and has sex with dead bodies. I'm pretty sure that Otis doesn't think, oh, you know what? The line isn't at necrophilia. It's actually at assaulting someone with a gun. Like, okay. Yeah. And the issue is not with where the line is for the character, right? Because we're seeing how many fucking minutes of this movie, right? We're not going to see every fucking insane, salacious hijinks that these people get into. What I'm saying is that didn't need to be one that was shown. And if you're one of your leading actors feels so passionately enough that you have to actually, that he had to confront the director and walk off the set, that should tell you everything you need to fucking know about how unnecessary it was. And they had to chop two minutes off that scene. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm probably not going to make you like Rob Zombie anymore for saying this, but his <laughs> response to Bill Mosley was, Making art is not always comfortable. Yeah, but sometimes it's valuable and this had no value. I just want you to know that I'm with you. It didn't have to be in there, but I'm not shocked that it was. Like, listen, obviously we're going to watch this movie at some point. We're going to get Lords of Salem. We're going to get Three from Hell. We're going to get there, but I'm highly skeptical. Yeah, in other words, she's going to do whatever it takes to push this for like another year and a half or two years. First off, I have not done that. To be clear, I have not done that. Let's not create the illusion of bias here. But it just so happens. We haven't even gotten to all the Halloween movies yet. All right. But I am starting to kind of see from your point of view, not that I necessarily care about these characters or want them to succeed or enjoy it, but watching the the OG trilogy of Hellboy movies, there's we see a glimpse where Hellboy, like his mission is accomplished and he has brought hell to earth. And when I saw that scene, we didn't get to see it into fruition, but I'm like, that actually looks very interesting. And so I think I can get where you're coming from, where it's like, he said, screw it. Let's bring hell to earth. Let's see the bad guys go on a successful run for the, for three films. Yeah, I got that with Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, bad guys I actually give a shit about. But okay, but let, let me also say this. I talked about Otis's performance and Bill Mosley's performance as a whole. This was also a notable increase in quality for Sherry Moon Zombie. Okay, yeah. She really uh, stepped it up a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm not saying she was great. I'm not saying she was great. But I am saying that she got closer to the solid acting that she had in Rob Zombie's Halloween. This was like whiplash for her character. Mm, I suppose. Her voice is sometimes annoying in this movie. But, like, she has to be. Absolutely it is. Yeah, I yeah, but I love the character. She's she's just wild, unpredictable, psychotic. And then and then you get like the scene where they're being tortured, right? And and he asks like he's pulling up the photographs of the victims and he's like who did this one or whatever and and Otis is like, "Well, that was me or whatever." And then he he pulls out the next one and she takes full credit for it, which I was not expecting. She was like, "No, that one's all me." Like Amazing! Like I don't know. I loved I loved her character in this. Chris, do you compare this to Whiplash? Because there's also overacting in Whiplash. Sorry, no, I didn't mean to compare it to a movie called Whiplash. I was saying I got Whiplash from her character because it, it's like she was suddenly much more mature than her previous than the previous film. It, it also kind of works in both ways because I mean, Whiplash is is a masterpiece, but you know, yeah, it's a bit hammy in parts. I do want to bring up someone very off topic a little bit 
very small character as well. Did anyone else kind of freak out when they saw Elizabeth Daly being so vulgar with her Tommy from Rugrats voice as Candy? The voice of Tommy Pickles. The voice of Tommy Pickles. I was like, oh boy, this is this is not from, not from so kids great. Cartoons to the Devil's Rejects. <laughs> what a time! Listen. Did I catch it? Maybe. Was it overshadowed by literally every fucking thing else in this movie? Absolutely, because I can't even place it right now in my mind. It it was honestly like another wasted moment where we could have gotten, I think, some more interesting stuff from that from that particular character. Wasn't she a Powerpuff Girl as well? Yes, Elizabeth Daly is like one of the most like well known voice actors ever. Yeah, and I instantly saw her face and I was like, oh my god, I don't remember this at thirteen years old. Or at all, like at all. I don't remember her being in this movie whatsoever. So this is a nice little treat. And then she opened her mouth and I was like, oh my God, Tommy. Oh my God. <laughs> Behave. That's hilarious. <laughs> Look, we also had uh, PJ Souls in this one. It's, it's, it, it's kind of, it's got an interesting cast. Okay. It's got an interest, interesting cast. We also have not talked about Sid Haig as Captain Spaulding enough, I feel like. No, definitely not. Right? Is it just me? Like, I don't even, we've talked a lot about Otis and we just started to talk about Baby. So there's that. Say what we want about all these characters. They're all trash, but he is such a good like main character like he brings that energy he's so so freaking good like captain spaulding is just it, obviously i've i've got the tote bag for like a reason that's in our in our subscription boxes or like it's just like a notable figure right he, he's it's such a shame you know obviously he's no longer with us but he's such a great actor in terms of like delivering the comedic timing, but also being frightening, but also being very chill when there's like about to be chaos in a scene. Oh, so good. Okay. So I would love to see a movie where he was the only antagonist. Yeah. Because I think his acting, his acting chops were, were up to snuff. I think when he delivers well-written lines, he delivers well-written lines and it is enjoyable. There's that moment where he's doing that carjacking. I mentioned this in the chat earlier, but he for a second wavers a little bit. His tone shifts and he sounds a little grandfatherly when he's talking to the kid. And it was for a split second, yeah. but it was like almost falling out of character. I'm sure it was really hard to deliver those lines to a kid. I don't know if he was actually there or not. Maybe they did that whole thing where they cut, you know, they just record each person's face or whatever. But for the, for the good lines in the movie, it's like, dude, I actually enjoy watching this guy on screen for the bad lines or the ones where he's having wet dreams. I was definitely not into those scenes. <laughs> That was, that was again taken too far, but like there's, there's moments where you're like, he's kind of carrying the show in many of the scenes that he's in. Yeah. He, he is probably by far, you know, is the most likable character in the, in the film, I would say, right? Like he, he is dirty. He does some raunchy shit, but like his character and his demeanor, his hilarious lines, like all the things about Captain Spaulding is just so entertaining. What I would love to see is Spalding and Terrifier go on a face-off. Mm. Like, not a face-off of fighting, but just making weird, crazy faces at each other. Topsy Crew Clown business. Yes, so good. <laughs> that would be so good. But he is able to be a storyteller, I think. Yeah. You could sit him down at a table, point a camera at him, and listen to him for 25 minutes in character, and you would be very entertained. Absolutely. So so what you're saying is, well, we'll never get it now, because R.I.P. Sid Haig, but... A, prequel if you will minus all of the rest of the firefly family and just see captain spaulding and maybe how he was leading up to making this shithole family mm. yeah i could do a prequel behind the scenes. potentially yeah 
Let's see a little. It's well written. I, I would. You know what I want? I want. I want Stephen King to write the book <laughs> first. I want some good, really good, solid writing behind it, and then I want the film adaptation. Okay. All right. Uh, before before we move on from characters, though, how was everyone's feelings around Mother Firefly this time around? Because obviously, it changed characters, right? It changed. We're well, not characters, but it changed actors. What do you think? She was fantastic. I thought super great performance. I felt like, okay, I know that a lot of people were disappointed, at least during the watch party. It seemed like a lot of folks missed the original actress. I thought it was a noticeable upgrade. Yeah, I didn't miss the original actress at all. I think she had some intense scenes in this movie for, you know, obviously she wasn't in it a whole bunch, but the scenes she was in, she took full advantage of. Like, she did a great performance. My favorite performance of her, outside of, like, obviously what she does between the sheriff, but right when they're the end of the shootout at the house, she goes back for Rufus or whatever, and... They're, they surround her and she's just like, you're not going to get me and gets a gun to her head. And she just pulls that trigger, man. No bullet, but she was hardcore. And I believed every second of that. Oof. She was not playing games. I'll agree. I think she was an, an upgrade over the, perhaps the first film. I think her acting was probably a little bit too good for the rest of the film. Not that it was great acting, but I think compared to a lot of the people around her, it wasn't out of place or anything necessarily, but like, was it met in the scenes that she was in? You know, I dare say that she was the best part of the movie for me. Okay. I have to disagree. Yeah, no, I I do. Because when I just think about how much I disliked her in House of a Thousand Corpses, I think it really brought up the average on this movie. I'm not saying that she is the best performance in the whole movie. Not by any means. Because, again, Bill Mosley as Otis takes the cake, even though I find a lot of his actions despicable. That man has some range. But it was really her isolation her taunting the sheriff when she finally gets killed that like that like musical climax so to speak for some reason i found all of her scenes completely compelling see your musical climax comment takes me to my best part of the movie it's the clear best part it's it's the soundtrack and we can just say that he's good at making spotify playlists or something whatever <laughs> but it was used correctly in several moments especially the ending scene um, I, I don't think there was a better pick you could have had than Freebird. I mean, most of the time people request it at concerts and you and you hate it. But this is one of the times that I'm glad somebody requested it because it worked so well. And there's other moments. I think I heard Steely Dan at one point and I was like, whoa, this guy is on fire with the soundtrack. And uh, even my wife, who's in the other room, kind of moving in and out, taking care of some stuff, was like, wow, the music in this film is really good. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess on the other spectrum of things, right? Like the worst part, I think for me is kind of like culminating this episode in some ways is that you really have to put in an effort in some ways. Like you got to have the stomach to like Rob Zombie and his storytelling. And that might actually be really the worst part because to me, I, I tend to like grit and intense movies and the very particular niche of like middle of nowhere serial fam- killer family movies. Like I, I grew up watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all this stuff too, right? So like I like those settings, but the problem is, is that it seems like Rob Zombie is the only one that does them all of the time. And clearly he's not liked. So I would love in some ways, maybe it's, maybe it's not going to happen with Rob Zombie and that's fine, but would love 
if that niche could be explored a little more often by other directors that wouldn't create such polarizing takes. Although I do love a good polarizing time. That's the point of the show. But, you know, like, unfortunately, Rob Zombie clearly takes it too far in certain directions. So would love to find that niche directed by and created by other people. Yeah, here. Yeah, I, I, I hear you there for sure. I think it, for me, it's hard to pick a worse part of the movie because I do truly like this movie so much. I, I do think that, you know, maybe he pushes the envelope too far in some scenarios. So I can see that. But I'm actually going to go with maybe and this would be super picky, but the you the choice to use practical effects for some of the things and CGI for others. For me, I could really tell the difference in just the way the blood looked alone. So it wasn't, if I had to really nitpick this one down to a worse part, it would be the choice of effects and not allowing that to look identical enough for me. Wow. That didn't even hit me at all. I can't quite place why that didn't stand out to me, but I can't wait to rediscover that when I never watch this again. Probably because you haven't watched this like 24 times. Yeah, probably. Yeah, nor will I ever. Yeah, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm going to do it either, Chris. I'm, I'm with you there. Well, you know, originally I said to myself, "Well, oh, now I guess I'll probably check this out some other time again." Like, I won't go so many freaking years, you know, since I've seen it. And then I told my brother that we were doing this episode, and so I probably will be seeing this a lot sooner than I thought. So, which is fine. I mean, again, great soundtrack. If anything, this is going to sound probably really fucked up but you know what i'm gonna say it um (laughs) is that this movie i would for sure like have in the background and kind of like peek at because again no don't look at me with that face because (laughs) look hear me out it it really is a ton of freaking music videos some music videos that are terrible clearly but it's like a ton of music videos back to back with like a shared collaborative story of some kind so i'd probably have it in the back the music videos are actually not a bad call out at all. I can appreciate that. I want to correct my previous statement. While I will never rewatch this, depending on how Three from Hell goes, I would consider giving it a supercut or I just take the shit I liked about House of a Thousand Corpses, the shit that I like about this one, and then who knows what happens in the next one, and just like make my own version of this movie together. Maybe that's something I can do. The super, the Chris supercut. Exactly. Wow. Nice. Well, let me tell you, I own this one. I have watched it a ton <laughs> yeah. and I will continue to watch it as the years go on. And just so y'all know, going into this one, I told my wife, I was like, we're going to do the devil's reject and I'm probably going to be the only one defending it. Thank God Binks was here for it. But I told her that and she said, quote unquote, let them know that I love this fucking movie. <gasps> no. So I got one person behind me outside of Binks too. Hell yeah. My hero. That actually doesn't surprise me at all. My hero. <laughs> Maybe she's just backing me up because, you know, we're married, but <laughs> hopefully not because, you know, she will just tell me what she thinks. So I, I don't think she's just backing me up to back me up. Yeah, no, it just seems like a good vibe for you too. No, she's an air. She's an Aries. She'd tell you exactly what she thinks. Exactly, yeah. All right, Sean. Well, I know that you know a lot about this movie, but let's see if there's anything Mac can sneak past you in fact or fiction. Number one, the F-bomb has dropped over 700 times in this family-friendly little flick. Fiction. Fiction, because it's always in the the number. I think it was like originally quoted around 200 and something, and then somebody else quoted around 565. You You are absolutely correct here. Yes, depending on who's counting, anywhere between like 224 or 560... It held a record for a while until another movie came out titled The F Word uh, that had over 400 uses. So (laughs) naturally, 
Number two, The Farmhouse of a Thousand Corpses was filmed on the same land as scenes in Robin Hood Men in Tights, Snakes on a Train, and beloved sci-fi show Firefly. I'm going to say fact, you know, like recycle, reuse, repurpose. The interesting thing about this statement is I know that it wasn't filmed at the same place that House of a Thousand Corpses was filmed, and the place that it was filmed, a lot of other shit was filmed there. I just don't know what was filmed there. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say fact. Yeah, this is a fact. So the house was recreated on Sable Ranch in Santa Clarita. It was originally in the middle of a forest for many years and used in movies in the 90s. The ranch got tore up, though, by a wildfire back in 2016. Also, fun fact, Chris Angel performed his Buried Alive illusion outside the ranch, and Rob Zombie was one of the spectators. Oh, yeah. I watched that. I have that on DVD. Yeah. Wow, that's a long time ago. Can I just say, so far, Sean's record is giving redemption for the Mummy episode. Oh, God. Let's not. We don't talk about that, yeah, Chris. I, don't, I didn't even listen to that one back, so we don't. no, we don't talk oh, about that. I definitely did because I beat you, and it was great. I know. You did. It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. All right, number three, Matthew McGrory, who plays Tiny, was unavailable to shoot his initial scenes for the movie where he's dragging a body. So a 7-4 double was used until his scene where he, you know, stops being sackhead Jason. Ooh. Mm, I think I believe that. Fact. This one I actually don't know. I don't know what he was going through at the time. I know that he died shortly after making this film, so I don't know what kind of troubles he had. So I will also... No, I'm going to go fiction just for the fuck. I really don't know. I'm going out on a limb. Ah, you were so close. Okay, this one's a fact. Okay, uh, but it's not as it's not as dire as, of course, what would come to pass. But he hurt his ankle before shooting. Oh. Oh. I'm sorry, I spoke too soon. I jinxed you. Wait, it's okay. so wait, so am I so far beating Sean? So far, so let's see what number four has in store for us here. And number four, the house used for Spalding's cozy little home had to be beaten up to fit the aesthetic of the film, as it was too new and clean looking. Was it really that beat up? You know, but people will go to lengths to set the vibe, so I'm going to say fact again. I think I remember there was a lot of discussion around like having to change the location for the ranch, but I believe that I remember Spalding's house being almost exactly like they left it, except they had to insert some things to make it look like it was lived in, not beaten up. So I'm going to go fiction. You got it, Sean. So yeah, the house itself was not changed, but they had to, you know, put some stuff inside to make it look like he lived there. Nice. I just want to know who on the team had to make the poop-stained underwear. Ooh, ooh. Not the job you want. It was probably just a chocolate bar, you know? Just a Snickers. Well, you, you both tied, so you don't have to feel so bad. Yay. And that's been Fact or Fiction. Well, there you have it, folks. The Devil's Rejects has earned two hacks and two slashes, splitting us down the middle again. Well, we certainly had a robust discussion here, but it doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. This movie clearly had a house divided, so I want to know where do you stand with Rob Zombie and the Firefly family? Let us know. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, dying's not an option. Tell me something I don't already fucking know. Mm-hmm.